You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. It seems like it's warming up a little bit, or is that just me? We good? Excellent. Good. Our scripture for this morning is John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It will magically appear. There we go. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you? And to me, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out, And take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The Gospel of John is known as being shallow enough for a baby to wade in, but deep enough for an elephant to drown in. Isn't that a beautiful image? It's, it's shallow enough for a baby to wade in it, but it's deep enough for an elephant to drown. In other words, anything that we read in the Gospel of John, there's certainly the surface-level story that we're all familiar with, but if we dig a little deeper, we find all kinds of things that ought to reveal to us something that we need to know. If we dig down below the surface... There is so much substance to this story that we're all familiar with. Miracles in Scripture, like turning water into wine, are not about magic. And that was one of the first century struggles, was are you a a magician? It's not about confounding the laws of science. And there were certainly those who tried to figure out, well, how did he do that? These things are not important because they defy scientific reasoning. They're important because they point us to something beyond themselves. The Greek word that is used is simio, which means the means to an end, right? So these miracles, these signs that are referred to here in John's gospel, yes, they are important and significant in and of themselves, but they also point to something else far more important that we need to look to. 
As I was driving to church uh, this morning, typically when I drive uh, here during the week, I live in South Bossier, I avoid airline drive like the plague, uh, as many of you do. So I take Benton Road, I kind of go the long way and come up Benton and cut across just because it's so much easier. Well, on a Sunday morning, uh, typically I, I drive down airline drive because it's not so bad uh, early on a Sunday morning. Uh, all the heathens are still in bed. And so I came down airline drive this morning, and I started as I was thinking about this sermon to pay attention to the number of signs on airline drive. And it was baffling, right? You've got your normal traffic signs, you know, go this speed, do this, yield, stop, lights, all this stuff that we're supposed to pay attention to. But then there's all the signs for the restaurants and there's all the signs for, you know, all these other things that we ought to do. There's metal signs, there's neon signs. And I'm like, this is just overwhelming if you actually look at it. And I started to count the signs, and as I drove like 200 yards, I was like, I can't even begin to count the number of signs just driving to church that we encounter people trying to tell us something or where something is. And as I pulled into the church, I couldn't help but laugh to myself as I saw the jumbotron that is now in front of our church. Another sign, right, telling people what is happening here at Asbury. One more sign. Over the last 20 years, you might have heard of a comedian by the name of Bill Engvall. Not so popular lately, but certainly in the late 90s and early 2000s, he was really popular, and his catchphrase is, here's your sign, right? He made fun of people that asked some not really smart questions. And so he would always kind of joke about it, and his punchline was, well, here's your sign, right? So so here's some of them, uh, just to give you a taste for what we're talking about. He talks about going to the park... Uh, to fly a kite with his son. Perfectly normal things to do. But a man walks up to him and says, y'all flying kites? No, we're fishing for birds. Here's your sign. Right? So, So there's one. He talks about pulling into a gas station, and he has a flat tire. And so this guy walks over and says, uh, you, you got a flat? No, the other three just swelled right up. And this one just looks like it's, here's your sign, right? Or, or the other one, uh, he talks about he and his wife packing to move from Texas to California. Uh, why you would do that, I don't know. But they were packing and loading boxes in a U-Haul truck that was parked in front of their house. And this neighbor walks over and says, uh, y'all moving? No, once or twice a week, we just like to pack boxes and put them in a U-Haul truck just to see how many boxes we can fit all of our stuff in. We have nothing better to do. Here's your sign, right? We, we have this idea, and hopefully you don't ask uh, too many of those questions, uh, where after you've asked the question, the person's looking at you like, really? Really? The Gospel of John is known as the Book of Signs. There are several significant things about these signs that John is going to reveal to us Number one, there are seven of them, which in Jewish culture is the perfect number, the holy number, right? The number seven. It also mirrors the seven days of creation. So God is doing something new in Christ through these seven signs that John reveals to us. All of them involve water in some way, and you'll see that this morning. And then the fourth thing is each one of these signs has somebody who is in great need of something that human hands cannot meet. Only Jesus can meet the need that they have. And so in this first sign, Jesus shows up at a wedding with his disciples, and they're already out of wine. 
Now, to give us some context, don't miss the fact that Jesus shows up on the third day. And we've talked about this before. Anytime you see in Scripture a reference to on the third day, we should immediately have in our mind the image of resurrection. Like, where is this going? Why did Jesus show up on the third day? Right? We should immediately go there. And so they show up. And, and the thing we need to bear in mind is typically in this culture, a wedding lasts for about two weeks. So I don't know about you, but I would not want a wedding that lasted for two weeks. But in this culture, that's normal, right? So he shows up on the third day, and they're already out of wine. (laughs) Make of that whatever you want to, right? But it's also this idea, and we miss it if we're not careful, that in this culture, there is a system of honor and shame, right? So if you're hosting a party, if you host it well that brings you great honor. If you run out of wine on the third day of a two-week celebration, not so good, right? So there's that. Jesus shows up on the third day, this image of resurrection, and he comes to save the host from being embarrassed and shamed. Now, the other thing I want us to pay attention to, which really has nothing to do with my sermon, but I want to mention it, is Jesus turns to his mother and says, woman, Why are you telling me this, right? And some people love to take that out of context, not that we ever do that, but they like to take that and go, see, this is speaking about the role of women in society. That's what, no, it's not. There are two other places in the Gospel of John where Jesus refers to somebody as woman. And those two stories are the Samaritan woman at the well and the woman who is caught in adultery. And Jesus refers to them both as woman. This is a term of great compassion, of great mercy. This is not a derogatory term or a suggestion that women are inferior, that Jesus is demonstrating how we ought to talk to. No, 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 no. This is a sign of great compassion that he refers to his mother in that way. So there's that. Almost as significant as this third day image that we already have is the fact that there are six jars there that are used for ceremonial washing or purification. And Jesus fills them with wine. Not just any old wine, not common wine, not wine that's been watered down, as again was was frequent in this day, but with new wine, the best wine that's usually saved for last. And so instantly, before we've gone very far, we have this image of resurrection, and we have this image of Jesus taking a vessel intended for water that would be cleansing people, that he fills with wine, that symbolizes his blood that will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins for all people, ultimately cleaning all things. And at the end of this account, John tells us that Jesus does this, the first of his signs, to reveal his glory, and his disciples believed in him. In other words, John is showing us these signs of Jesus, beginning with turning the water into wine, to point us to the resurrection, to point us to the sacrifice that Jesus will make on the cross, to point us towards people who put their faith and trust in Christ. They will have everlasting life. The second sign is not much later in John, it's in chapter 4, where he heals the son of a royal official, also in Cana, 
And Jesus simply says, your son will live. He never goes to actually see the boy or touch the boy. He actually just speaks the words. Your son will live. And in that moment, he is healed. And this royal official gets word from his servants that Jesus has done this, and he and his entire family believe. The official begs. Jesus answers. In chapter 5, there's a paralytic at the pool of Bethesda who has been there for 38 years. And he offers all kinds of reasons as to why he's not been able to get down into the pool. Nobody would help me. I couldn't get up. All these different things. And Jesus, I love this. Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to be made well? (laughs) Don't miss that. Do you want to be made well? We'll come back to that a little later. But Jesus helps him get into the pool and he finds healing. In chapter 6, Jesus multiplies the fish and the loaves by the Sea of Galilee and just as he provided the best wine, Jesus provides an abundance of food. Not just enough for those that are gathered, but more than enough. People are hungry and Jesus feeds them. Right after that, Jesus walks out on the Sea of Galilee towards their boat. A storm is brewing, and they're in their boat, and they're terrified for their lives, and Jesus walks out on the water and says, don't be afraid. In the middle of their storm, Jesus offers comfort. In chapter 9, there's a man that is born blind, and his disciples ask Jesus, who caused this, the man or his parents? Because in this culture, if you're born with some kind of deformity, whatever it might be, the understanding was that you are being punished by God. Thankfully, we don't think these ways anymore. But in this culture, that's what they would have believed. Who sinned? Who caused this to happen? And Jesus says, neither of them. This man was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. And Jesus takes saliva, mixes it with the mud on the ground, puts it on the man's eyes, and tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And all of a sudden, this man who has been blind his entire life can see. And in the conversation that happens after this, Jesus is hearing the conversation of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and he says, and you, by the way, are blind. You're not even seeing what is happening right before your eyes. And then the final sign in chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Mary and Martha are upset because if Jesus, Jesus, if you had just been there a little sooner, you could have saved him from death. And now he's been in the tomb for four days. Jesus looks at them and says, your brother will rise again. And Martha turns around and says, yes, I I know he'll rise again on the last day. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? The stone in front of the tomb is rolled away. And Jesus calls Lazarus out from the grave. This final sign, you can see how they build and how they get greater. This final sign is resurrection. Which, of course, foreshadows what Jesus will ultimately do himself. 
But again, if we stop there, if we stop at the end of this beautiful story of Lazarus, we miss something equally important. Because John tells us that many of the Jews who were there saw what he had done, and they believed. But there are others. There are others that are there who go to the Pharisees, and they tell them what Jesus has done, and immediately they call a meeting. (laughs) Here's what it says. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. And from that day on, they plan to put him to death. It is not the fact that they don't believe in who Jesus is that that tells them that they need to seek to put Jesus to death. It's their own fear of what they're going to lose. It's their need for power and control that drives them to say, this man must stop. People are believing in him, and we can't have that. Don't miss that. In chapter 12, it just keeps getting better. Mary is gathered with Martha and with Lazarus at a meal, and Jesus is also there, and Mary anoints Jesus' feet with expensive perfume, this, this pure nard that is used to anoint People and she dries his feet with her hair. This beautiful image of, of thanking Jesus in some way for what he has done. An act of compassion. But don't miss this. It's also preparing a body for burial. She knows what Jesus is going to do and she is preparing him for what he knows is before him. Toward the end of John's gospel, we're told that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written, these seven are written in John's gospel, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The reason John is including these signs as part of his good news story of Jesus is so that we will know who he is. Only God can do these things. And yet Jesus in human flesh performs these miracles, these signs before many witnesses in the hope that those who see it, those who read about it, those who believe that these stories are true will believe in him and find everlasting life. These signs, significant and beautiful in and of themselves, point us to the resurrection. They point us to the Messiah. They point us to the cross. And they point us in the direction of Jesus who says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Since you brought it up, I love that question that Jesus asks of the paralytic man. Do you want to be made well? And it's, it's a pointed question. Because for many of us, we're, we're so stubborn that we can't possibly acknowledge that God can do something that we cannot. I can take care of myself. I'll go to church, but I can take care of myself. And then life happens. And it does to all of us. And we find ourselves in this place where we can't find comfort and we can't find peace and we're hurting and life is a mess. And sometimes it takes us 38 years to reach out to the one who can save us and can help us and can heal us 
And I hope it doesn't take that long. But Jesus asks him, do you want to be made well? It reminds me of when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, also recorded in the Gospel of John. And after he does so, he looks at the disciples, and again, it's a great question. Do you know what I have done for you? (laughs) He doesn't just perform the act and wash wash their feet and say, have a nice meal. He looks at them and says, do you understand what I've done? This is not about washing your feet. It's about me coming as your king, as your Messiah, as the Son of God, and yet I am here to serve you. I'm going to wash your nasty feet. Picture that for a moment. A new commandment I give you, Jesus says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. By this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. In other words, each one of us carries around our own sign, whether we like it or not. We represent something. The question is, when people look at us, what do they see? What are we pointing to? When people look at our lives, the way that we live, the way we talk, the way that we live out on the community, the way we interact with one another, what do they see? Do they see Christ in the way that we are called to love one another? It it seems to me like the world in which we live today is crying out for the church to be the church. It's crying out for those who say that we are followers of Christ to live like followers of Christ, even when it's hard, to do what Christ has commanded us to do. And yet, you don't have to look very far. To see that people are walking, people are walking into our schools, into our places of worship. They're walking into places where people are gathering just to have fun with their friends, and they're killing people. Just two or three days ago, there was a local couple who I realize have connections to several people here, a local couple who decided to give a man a ride in their car, which I have done many times before, as I'm sure you have. And they were killed in their own car. I don't pretend to have the answers. And it's a lot easier to point the finger at where we think the problem is rather than look at ourselves. But maybe we need to get serious about this whole love one another thing. (laughs) Maybe we need more reminders of what Christ has done for us. Maybe we need more reminders that we are called to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ so that all might know of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. By this, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That all who believe in him, all who believe in him, even though they die, will live. (laughs) Do you believe this? If you need a reminder this morning, here's your sign.
In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious, holy God, you call us to follow you. You call us to love one another, even when that is difficult, even when that's uncomfortable, even when everything inside of us says not to. You call us to demonstrate your love because you have first loved us. And by this, by the way that we live our lives here on earth, by the way that we interact with other people, with all of your children, no matter what they might look like or where they may come from, you tell us to love them because you have loved us. Help us. Help us to be your people. Help us to love you more. Help us to be the people that you have called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.